0: Ron, dude, thanks for coming to hang out with us again and uh, talk about things other than how lame Porsches are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. And uh, I didn't get really any super negative backlash on that one. So no, uh, good. I guess that went well. You know, what's crazy is I didn't either. Like I didn't either. Like the other dudes that came on didn't really get any negative backlash. I feel like people good. are kind of I hope maybe the parts prices will come down a little bit. I don't think people will ever get over it because Porsches are genuinely fucking cool. But hopefully people's yeah. eyes are being opened up to, to other things. Anyway, um, it's great to have you here. You know, I've obviously followed Hoonigan over the course of many, many years. I wouldn't necessarily say I'm like a Hoonigan fan, but I pop in, you mm-hmm. know, here and there. And I see what you guys have done uh, and what you or what you did rather. And, it, and it's a monumental accomplishment, especially like over the last two days, I started watching. Just a ton of content. I always over prepare for for this type of stuff. You're a real journalist. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I didn't just like, (laughs) I don't don't wing anything. I didn't wing it. So I watched like the entire Amazon. binge watched the entire Gymkhana Files. I went on the YouTube, I went way back and watched a bunch of shit. I like I went on the the Ron car YouTube and watched just like you doing dumb shit in cars back in the day from like 13 years ago. I haven't uploaded
1: anything to that. No, you haven't. It's been a long time.
0: So like prepping for this was hard because like it's such a like a monolithic thing, Hoonigan was, is. Mm. And um it reached out and touched so many different things from like really highly produced things to also like really candid, like, you know, off the cuff, like, uh, things that you guys did on the channel and the different content, um, that you produce. So I have, Mm -hmm. but I have one question that everybody really wants to know, which is what do you think of led retrofit headlights and how they ruin classic cars? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what a question. Well, let me tell you, um, (laughs)
1: I do have some opinions on that, but you know, what, my guiding opinion is: it's your car; you can do what you want. Uh, I will judge it either silently or not so
0: silently. But yeah,
1: you know, yeah, you uh, bought I'm, it. You, I'm, you can I'm, do I'm kidding what you around want with
0: it. Yeah. I'm kidding around. Realistically, though, I, one thing I did have trouble kind of like um, putting my finger on is what you're like. You seem like this Swiss Army knife. You know, like mm. I. Are you like a storyteller, a brand guy, photographer, like Delta Destroyer, Evo aficionado, filmmaker, <laughs> like? Because like I, as I go through this whole history and looked at all these different things, especially when I was watching the Jim Conno files yesterday, I was like, "There's Ron right there. He's got a camera in his hand." Mm-hmm. And then there's Ron right there. He's got a clipboard in his hand. I'm like, usually the photographer doesn't end up with like a clipboard. Like, what's going? Like, who is Ron? Like, what is? What do you? What do you do? What's your talent? Like, who's Ron? It's so hard to
1: define that without sounding uh, mega pretentious. I guess one of the one of the phrases that's come up recently is uh, they call it a multi hyphenate, which is just just like you said, it's a Swiss Army knife type thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess the easiest way to say it is I am a storyteller. Yeah, and and a storyteller for people, a storyteller for brands. Um, not so often myself, which is probably why it's harder to find that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, from the very beginning of my career in automotive, uh, I've just found ways to tell automotive stories and and bring cool things to people in whatever ways that, that you kind of have to in the modern world, you know? Um, Kind of starting from magazines and then going through the blog era, as short as it may have been, to watching Facebook take off, then Instagram, then YouTube and all that. But really at the base of it, yeah, I I
2: help people tell stories. Hold hold on, Chris. Before we go there, you know, we had this that we have to mention, which is CSF cooling. They have a long history and have been at the forefront of quality products at a fair price. With the history stretching back over seven decades, they provide the best high-performance and OEM cooling systems on the market today. CSF offers over 3,000, over 3,000, I'm counting, different cooling applications for the most popular makes and models on the road. From classic copper and brass radiators for the old Land Cruisers, Jeeps, and Datsuns, to all our vintage 80s, Mercedes, BMW, Audi, and Porsche platforms, all the way up to new vehicles. It's very cool. Be sure to check out that and all the other offerings at csfrace.com or
0: on social media as well. Right on. What do you think makes a good story? Like, or like when you read a story, what makes you go, this is a good one? Um, there, are,
1: There's so many different ways. Uh, there's so many different things that make a good story. Um, you know, at the very base of it, there's an arc. There's uh, maybe a problem and then... You know, like you kind of figure it out and then you have a really hard time and then you figure it out and then you win or you lose. Uh, there's, It's the highs <laughs> and the lows that really yeah. make a good story to me. But sometimes, especially in the modern Internet age, maybe it's just something cool that you never saw in your life. And you're like, oh, wow, I, I want to know a little more about that.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, I was going to say I, I find it difficult to tell stories in the in the arena we live in today, you know. When I kind of first knew who you were, I did a little bit of work for Zero to 60 magazine back in the day. Our mutual. That's so crazy. That's such a small world. That's got to be 15 years ago, 16 years ago. (sighs) That's a long long time. And uh, telling stories back in. in (laughs) That's when storytelling for cars, I think, was a little easier because there was less people, there was probably less stories being told, which is kind of sad. That's one thing I do like is all the stories that are being told now are great. But you could, like, you write a story, it goes in the magazine, it was very simple. And now things have gotten, like, ridiculously complex in terms of how you're telling a story, what the audience is, who's going to see it. For
1: sure. It's, it's a shift. Um, there's, there's the good and the bad to it. The cool thing was about the magazine days is... You have to put something into print, right? So you got to be pretty focused on that story, and you got to make sure it's a story worth telling. Um, so you know it's gonna somebody's gonna go design it, somebody's gonna go fact check it. Fifty different people are gonna read it before it even hits, you know, the printer, and then yeah. it prints. And so that whole process, you know, makes you second guess everything, makes you double check everything. It's way more pressure in a way, right? Where in the modern day, telling a story is like, I'm going to throw it out there. If this sticks, great. And if it doesn't, whatever. But you get an immediate response, which is my favorite, favorite thing about storytelling now is it's like you post something, you refresh, and then immediately comments, comments, likes, dislikes, whatever. You get that. like Yeah, for better or right for worse, off right? Yeah. You get a connection. Yeah. 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 Whether you like it or not, sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's also true. But, you know, just like um, just like a comedian on stage, every great comedian bombs sometimes, too. That's it's what makes you better. Now, where did you grow up? Uh, I have a nomadic lifestyle. Um, I was born of Polish parents, uh, first generation. I was born in Chicago, Illinois uh, AKA little Poland here in the U S. And then when I was, I want to say six, six or seven moved to Tennessee, uh, Hermitage, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, lived there for a bit, uh, then moved to New Jersey where kind of really, really got back into the car thing, uh, super heavy, um, started doing a little bit of road racing out there. Uh, and then, you know, Long story short, that's how I got into Zero to Sixty magazine because they were based out of Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, New York. And then after New York was
0: Utah and then after Utah, California. So how did the Zero to Sixty thing come about? Were you just like dirtbagging your life around, not sure, wandering around? I think you went to school for uh, for journalism, I believe. How did you end up with like tying those two things together with with cars and uh, with journalism?
1: it was a, it was a split major. So it was PR journalism. Uh, I really (laughs) took that because I was horrible at math and all my teachers were like, Oh, you're good at writing. Uh, so you should just get into writing. And I was like, okay, uh, yeah, journalism, that's writing. And so I took that, uh, you know, studied it a bunch, actually got really into like the storytelling aspects of things. And then, uh, everybody was telling me you'll never make money as a journalist being a journalist. Like you make, you get crap pay. Like it's, it's not a career. Like it's something that you do for fun or whatever, like get into PR. I'm like, all right, cool. Went and visited a PR firm. As do you part think of they like were right a, or wrong? Intern program. Uh,
0: about the money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, i heard all the same were, things dude were, and i was like fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway <laughs> it turns out they were right and i was broke
1: <laughs> it's uh they were right in general on like yeah. a salary scale yeah but yeah. uh yeah so i visited a pr firm because i i was like okay I'm, I'm gonna make money and it was the saddest it was probably just the place I went, but it was the saddest existence. So I started going to the magazine stand every day, looking at every car mag. And I was like, okay, where are these guys based out of? Ann Arbor, damn it. Okay, that's far. Uh, California, that's <sighs> just not possible right now. California, California, California. Oh, this one's based out of New York. It was called Zero to 60 Magazine. I was like, all right, I'll send them an email. I just want to be an intern. I want to try it out and I want to come work for you guys. Um, I emailed uh, a guy named Brian Scotto. He uh, did not respond. I got an email back from a guy called Matt Tosillo, the managing editor at the time. Um, And I went in, I interviewed, and yeah, the rest is kind of history from there.
0: What was your first feature? Do you remember?
1: Uh, It was, well, it was a small story, but at the time, that summer, I was going to visit some family in Poland. um, And as a part of that, I was like, I have to go to the Nürburgring. It was like the thing, like yeah. that was kind of the first peak Nürburgring lore. And I told him, I was like, Hey, before I start, like I have this family trip I'm going and doing, and I'm going to be at the ring. And Scott, was like, Oh, well, uh, yeah, do a story about, you know, what it takes to drive at the ring. And so that
0: was my first like mini story there. The, uh, um, the Nürburgring is my wild, first feature. Man. You, uh, it's, Sorry to interrupt. There's a little bit of a delay. I apologize. Oh, it's all good. Uh, The uh, is is driving Gran Turismo, uh, Nürburgring or Forza, and then going and actually seeing it and doing it wildly different. It is incredibly terrifying in person. Scary, scary, scary. It's way narrower. The elevation change is just like you cannot express it on a screen. You just can't. Hey, look, another blind hill. I'm I'm dead. I mean, you could count, uh, say I'm dead for however many turns there are on the, on the network. Totally. And then you're in a rental car and then there's some German grandma on a Passat flying by you on opposite lock. You're like, oh my God. Flying. I was in a, I was in a Mercedes A class is what we were driving in, but I was lucky enough. Like someone told me, he's like, Hey, you know, go and uh, go talk to people. They'll, they'll give you a ride. Just go, go up and talk to people. So I went up to this big German dude. He was in a flannel dude was massive. I'm like, hey, I didn't even. I saw you had a wristband on, because so I think you had wristbands mm-hmm. that would let you get out there. I didn't even know what Correct, he drove. Yeah. I was like, hey man, I just was going up to everybody. Everybody was saying no. I was like, hey man, can I go for a ride with you? He's like, yeah, let's go for a ride. So we go. He's got a Bird Cup Polo G40. No shit. One of the most incredible oh, car so experiences sick. of my entire life. It was yeah. wild. The dude was on the rub strips and those rub strips are serious at the Nürburgring. They're like curves. Yes. The dude was on them and he didn't leave. And he's like just, you know, doing his thing. He's driven it a million times, but I'm fucking scared out of my mind. But that was one, of, <laughs> that was one of the most incredible driving experiences of my life. I wish it would have happened a little bit later in life. Cause I feel like in some ways that was the peak, you know, Nürburgring in a, in a bird cup car was, was really something else. Yeah, it's like the first time you fly and you fly first class and then the rest is just economy. I'll never I've never flown first class. I think uh, by that statement, I'll I'll resist. I'll resist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just it's not worth it. Not worth it. Don't do it. Before we get too far away from from growing up, there was one question I I had for you. You And you talk about your nomadic lifestyle and, you know, Mm -hmm. some other things. Was there any part of your childhood or adolescence that you think primed you for what you ended up starting at zero sixty like, was there anything that happened or your upbringing or anything that kind of, you know, that you look back on like, yeah, that's why I'm here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my dad was super into cars. Um, he he was always like a really big fan. He he was also into motorcycles and everything, but he was a long haul trucker. Uh, he moved to America and was just like, cars are sick. He had a uh, they had a Celica back in the day and then um a mercury cougar which had the v6 and the led dashboard and then he would always get me matchbox cars and i don't know if they still do but back then on the underside they would have some specs it, it would be what car it is what motors in it what you know i don't know if it had the drivetrain but
0: you know there he is. would tell me like oh audi a4 yeah. quattro sport says right on the bottom right there yeah there you go yeah and so uh, he would get me like he was a long
1: haul trucker. So he would, you know, anytime he would come back from a long trip, he would always come with a matchbox car. And that that was like uh, that was the best thing on the planet. And then he would tell me, hey, this one's rear wheel drive. It slides like this. And this one's all wheel drive. And uh, how long was he gone? for that a kind time? Of st- Oh, man, um, I don't remember really. Uh, probably like a week, sometimes a week and a half, something like that, sometimes three days, you know. It's got to be it just dependent on the job.
0: It's got to be tough.
1: Kind of. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I was at my own devices and, uh, my grandma lived with us and she kind of raised me and she's like, you know, old school Polish grandma. So she was the best. So really, I, I wouldn't say, um, I wouldn't say that had like a super negative effect. Um, at least that I know of. I don't know. Well it sounds like you had a good family structure.
0: You know, that's that's what's really yeah. important is yeah. I, I was raised by my my grandmother as well. So I was raised by old schools, you know, uh dirt fields of Kansas grandma, which isn't exactly Polish that's, grandma, but <laughs> I, awesome. I have to imagine yeah. there's some there's some cross there's some cross over there. Oh, there's probably a lot of similarities,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean he
1: he really he got me into cars and we were always I was always playing with them, had big play sets, the Lego stuff. Uh, So it was always a part of a part of my upbringing because, you know, coming from Poland, they didn't really know football or basketball or baseball like they didn't understand the game. So in my household, it was boxing or motorsports. And uh, I mean, I'm a pretty skinny dude. (laughs) I I don't know if I was going to go box anybody. So, you know, cars, it was.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, he could have been flyweight, right? Like flyweight, lightweight, you know? Those guys True. last longer, and they can't hit his heart, so I think they last a little bit longer out there. <laughs> yeah. So you started at 0-16. to 16, That must have been like 2009, 10-ish, something like that. Um, the first Jim Connoff film Correct. came out yeah. in 2008 is when the first film came mm-hmm. out. And I went back, and I, and I watched some of that stuff, and I don't know, man. I don't know that I'd ever seen it before. Had you seen like that Jim Gymkhana stuff before you started at zero to 60, was there any like, like seeds that were planted in that? So you, did you like know what you were getting yourself into with some of these guys at zero to 60 when you saw the names and all these different things? A hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. So
1: I, from a very early point, uh, there was a, I was into rally from very early on in 2001 ish, 2002, there was a channel called speed vision and they would yeah. play the world rally championship on there. And so I got to watch Petter Solberg, you know, win his championship and these Subarus and like, obviously in my opinion, because I'm biased, my golden era of
0: rallying. So later on when rallying, Wait, in it's the not US group B? Up, everybody says nah. group B is their favorite period of rallying. And I'm always like, do you really nope. think that like it's it's the easiest answer uh, and and
1: it is cool. But for me, it's uh, the 2000s, Group A, uh, the and then Group B. Yeah. Yeah. Group A is pretty good. That's a whole that's a whole other. <laughs> I could go on for that for for days and days and days. Um. So, yeah, when rally in the U.S. started going off, uh, Travis Pastrana was like the dude. It was like yeah. this crazy young guy sending it sideways, winning championships my buddy Dave though, was also into rally with me. He was like, Hey, there's this guy, Ken block. Have you heard of him? I was like, no, uh, whatever. And I'm wearing a DC hoodie. And he's like, (laughs) yeah, he started DC, but he's like racing now. And he made, made this video, like, look at this video. And I watched it in 2008 when it came out and I was like, dude, what? Like I had, I had just with my valet parking money, leased a Subaru WRX at 2005. And, um, And I was like, oh, my God, this is the sickest thing on the planet. Like, I I have to, I have to, like, somehow be involved in this. And that's part of what sparked me looking for the magazines and everything. Sure, sure. I didn't know that I would meet Ken because of Zero to Sixty. But once I went in there and started hearing the names and seeing the faces, it was all like, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing on Earth. Like, how am I so lucky to find this, like niche little job and an internship opening and i made it in and now yeah. i'm like at the very
0: very 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 sub bottom mega low rung of this world yeah you're shoveling shit basically at that point when you first start and that's and that's okay that's kind of that's kind of how it should be so you had a dc hoodie on were you like just into were you skating or were you just you kind of like skate culture you like like do you like just the the vibe what was uh what was the run yeah. of that time like
1: Ron at that time was a BMX rider. Uh okay. but skate videos were what I would consume on the regular because at the time skate videos were just so much more creative, so visual. The music was insanely good. Um it's like the Spike Jones era, you know, like Yeah Right by Girl, like all of those videos they they were really shaping me creatively. And I didn't know, but I was a BMX rider. So, yeah, Etnies, DC, Vans,
0: like all that stuff. That was just my staple. That's all I wore. So when the sticker that says hooning is not a crime came out, I mean, you must have just, I mean, that was you, man. Yeah, and that was actually later. That's
1: that sticker was 2010, 2010. And I picked up the first box, the first print run Ever. Uh, Scotto had me go pick it up from a printer in New Jersey.
0: Yeah, that that adage of like hooning is not a crime is that skater shit, you know, written all over it. I was a, I did. Yeah, 100%. Too. Yeah. But that's like the whole yeah. the whole attitude was was that were you around for like was there a shift between when um, some of these, you know, D.C. guys went from being like kind of having their foot in both like skate world and car world to where it was just like, yes, yeah, we're just going to do car shit. When did that start to occur? Was that around the same period of time? It was actually a bit earlier.
1: Uh, I had a very, very early look at it because there was a BMX rider named Scotty Kramer from New Jersey, and we rode at the same skate park together. I think his parents owned it, or he, for whatever reason, he was just always there. And uh, I rolled up to it in my Subaru, and I see an R33 GTR in the parking lot. And this is 2006 six yeah 2005 not 2006 to exist. and i was like <laughs> i was like i've only seen this on pre-youtube like 240p like there was a website that had all these skyline gtr street race videos i was like yeah. oh my god and i got to know scotty a bit and he was like yeah like car culture really started coming in for him not re- ever replacing bmx but i started understanding the mix and then you saw like as years went on just that natural progression of kids that were into skate and BMX, like personalizing a car and the tuning of the car. Like there were so many parallels in that, and and kind of making it your own and giving it your own attitude. That it really just like it was seamless. It just made sense that your favorite BMXer was also into cars.
0: Yeah, I mean, cars. If you think about it, are um, just like having your bike. You can fuck around with your bike stickers, do different things, steering. You know, bars. You know, posts, seats. I mean it's the same thing cars can be a very a thing that you can make yours that you can really tie your identity to very and even the so. br- even the brand so. like what what part of this culture do you like like what are you i mean are you a, like a, like an import guy are you european guy do you like you like v6 mustangs and making them look like they're not a v6 mustang like what kind of car guy are you there's really something for everybody so many entry points for that yeah absolutely uh so when did um when did hoonigan start to grow like what do you think was the the impetus of it was there like a catalyst moment where you guys realized whoa this is this is something that someone is shoveling coal in the boiler and it and we can't even stop it anymore what was that moment uh
1: that the the big big catalyst moment was uh a little show called daily transmission uh, And I was still working for Ken at the time, very much so. And this is kind of the funny way of how it started was Daily Transmission was a YouTube channel. It was the Hoonigan YouTube channel, which existed pretty much to put Ken videos up on. It was Ken's distribution path because he didn't really put up Ken Block racing videos on his own stuff. Hoonigan was the distro, right? But they had this clothing brand, and it was doing well, like, you know, it it had gotten out there, the name was out there, people were really about it. But it it hadn't really hit that tipping point yet. But the place that they had kind of the culture they built around the place, people just started coming by with cool cars and seeing what it's about. And they're like, man, I I really like, I vibe with this. So they're like, man, all these people come by. They do cool stuff with their cars. And uh so Scato saw at the time, he's like, this YouTube thing is really going off for other content creators and everything. And he's like, We we gotta do this. Just just grab a camera and bring it outside and and just like let's just start with What year pictures. is this? Let's start with year is this.
0: I wanna say this is two thousand seventeen. Okay. Um, yeah, so this is that is kind of like the beginning of the the automotive content creator landscape really starting off for sure.
1: Yeah. Adam LZ had already been making videos. Uh, Cletus had started making videos. Uh, and and we at the time had felt kind of late to the game. Um, and there was so much other stuff going on. I mean, the Ken program was so much work. The apparel program was so much work. And they had a tiny team. It was like a really, really small team of dudes. I think at the time it was Scotto, Hurt, Uh, this designer, Lindsey Ross, or maybe a different designer. Anyway, it was a really small, tight group of guys. Uh, But they were all real car dudes as well. So their friends would come by with a drift car. Someone else would come by with a drag car. So Scott was like, let's just film this and upload it at midnight. So it doesn't impact anything, Ken, that we upload. So for like the first two, three years of daily transmission, two years, it was all uploaded at midnight. And then one day we talked to like a YouTube consultant or something. And he's like, I, what are you I, doing? I'm not even having a conversation with you. First thing you do, just upload it a normal hour. What are you doing? Just upload it at like 9 a.m. <laughs> and we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but that daily transmission was where we saw that there would be like a poster, uh, like a wheat paste on the wall of a design that we had on a shirt. And an episode would go up. And that day, those t-shirt sales would spike. And we're like, what happened? Do we have a sale that we didn't know about? Did, did something pop off? No, it was on that episode. Somebody was wearing a hat. Somebody was wearing a shirt. And sales just went crazy. And they tied it together. They're like, oh, man, it's, yeah, obviously, like, you're getting a bunch of views. People are excited about it. And it felt raw. And it felt authentic that people were like, yeah, I, I, I want to be a part of this, too. I want to be a hoonigan. So I'm going to buy this shirt. Uh, so Daily Transmission and that whole video era, especially the very early one, was just
0: stratospheric growth. Yeah. When did you start realizing that um, you could do other types of films as well? When was that a goal when it was like, okay, we've done this? When are, what, mm. The point where you're like, let's evolve. Let's do more. Let's create more content.
1: Yeah, so uh, Daily Transmission, one of the rules was don't leave the yard everything has to be at Hoonigan. Anything else, you just kind of freestyle, you make up things, you do a car feature, you do a burnout, you do drifting. Um, And then just the creative process, you see the views rolling in, you see that you have more inventory in the week, you're like, let's do something else. Let's try out different things. So we started a thing called Field Trip, which was daily transmission at the shop, field trip, not at the shop. So it's anything from going and visiting a race shop to driving, you know, uh, Glamis and a UTV. And that kind of spurred the adventure content. And uh, I wasn't a part of this one, but the, the Misadventures of Baja was the first thing that like was really almost like a Top Gear style, like a big story, like they bought a $500 Volkswagen Beetle and just wanted to make it down to Baja and drive and chase the Baja 1000. And it broke down and it was a horrible vehicle and fixing it at a gas station and the steering wheel comes off and all this. And all this shit was just happening naturally. And they had so much fun doing it that we're like, wow, yeah, this content is our favorite to make.
2: Well, let's talk about our favorite subscription box that would be petrol box hopefully some of our listeners got a petrol box subscription for Christmas because of course it makes a great gift for as little as nineteen ninety five a month you too can become a petrol box subscriber they also have the petrol box premium for thirty nine ninety five a month every month they select cool items like gear garage gear rather uh, tools detailing supplies apparel t-shirts Pins, yeah, head over to mypetrolbox.com. You too can become a subscriber. It is an awesome service. We love those guys over there. Uh, you can also use code overcrest if you'd like, that gets you a discount and is a great gift.
0: So, what of when you look back at all the content that was created, was there a point where it ever became we're like, oh my god, there's just too much? We just cannot. Did it get diluted at any point where is there like a like a turning point where you're like, we can't create more because there's just there's just not enough. But there but the need for more existed. Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: It was a really controversial move, but at the time and still today, like YouTube loves when the audience comes in and they know what they're getting. At the time, our channel was on a Monday, you would get yard content. On a Wednesday, you would get. uh, Oh, I'm getting a thumb. I'm getting a thumb. Nice job, dude. It's all good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, so sorry. On a Monday, you would get yard content. On a Wednesday, you would get adventure content. And then you would get, like, you know, uh, a, a car feature, like a deep dive car feature. But every single day was different styles of content. So this YouTube consultant we talked to and we talked about it internally was, well, Let's then make channels specific to the content. So we made three different channels. We had Hoonigan, Main. we had Project uh, project cars. Uh, we had uh, it's called daily Transmission now, whatever. We made a bunch of different channels and bonus, which was like the
0: dumping ground for the weirdest things you can imagine.
1: It was that seems a great fairly idea.
0: revolutionary. I mean, it seems commonplace now because you look at it. it's like, like Mr. Beast, this Mr. Beast, this Mr. Beast gaming, and like everybody kind of splits up their channels, and like even like streamers will be like my main channel, but then they have like a clips channel, and they have all these different channels. But back then, that was weird. Like that wasn't what people were necessarily yeah. doing with their channel content. So that was that was a leap. And that's why it was kind of controversial at the time because
1: the fans were like well, what's going on like you just launched this channel and then you just launched this channel and I have to subscribe to this one and watch on this one um, And if we had the editing power beefed up and if we had more of us, I really genuinely think that could have been like an even crazier Empire takeoff whatever but the base of the issue was was that the people on camera, we're also full-time employees. So the hardest thing that we have to explain, and, and you could never really tell the audience, you don't want to break the illusion that, oh, this isn't just a group of guys just you know messing around in a parking lot and doing car stuff. The, the, the audience doesn't want to know that I'm sitting and building a budget on Excel two and a half minutes before I jump on camera and like yell at a burnout, whatever. So we yeah. were so... Like, maxed out on our own time in creating gymkhanas and doing product marketing and doing white label video and and producing and writing creative for the regular videos and all that, that uh, it it just wasn't able to scale to all the channels. And that was kind of, in a way, a breaking point. And we still, in 2018 or 19, one of the two, we made 700 pieces of content.
0: 700. And we still. How many hours were you working? How many hours were you working during that period of time? Do you think a week I... <laughs> do you even want to know? <laughs>
1: Was it just all of them? Uh, every every single one to be honest with you, uh, I would get to the office usually around nine and sometimes I would get home maybe at eight. Uh, unless Scotto wanted to have one of his uh, famous marathon meetings, and then I get home at 11pm or something like that. And then even when you get home, you're still thinking about the next piece of content, you're still thinking about, you know, this, uh, what is the next Instagram post, what's the next Facebook video, like you're, you're on
0: most of the waking hours of the day. I think that's a, in different scale, of course, I think that's what content creators struggle with a lot. Is, is when totally. to be on and when to not be on. Do you have any advice for people that are kind of struggling with that? Because I know that a lot of people do.
1: Yeah, I think you'll find that, uh, especially recently, it's like that whole analogy of if you grab a handful of sand and you try and squeeze it super hard, all of it's going to fall out. But if you keep your hand loose, it's all going to stay in there. And what I mean by that is if you take a step back and you don't feel the need to constantly create, to constantly be doing stuff... I think the quality of your content will improve. The audience will be more anticipating of that content. And I think you'll be rewarded in that. Now, if you're a streamer or something like, yeah, you kind of have to be on 24 seven. And, you know, there's also a balance of staying within the algorithm and not losing yourself to the noise of all other creators. But I would I would say make make what you care about, make what you want, because the second it really starts feeling like. Oh, fuck! I have to make something today. That's where filler content starts, and nobody really loves filler content. The audience is really, really smart. Yeah, and they see right through it. They know and when the, they're being taken advantage of. A lot of will watch sure. it and they'll support you, but they feel it, man. They 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 see immediately. Like this is uh, it's kind of a throwaway episode. He did it because he had to. Um, you look at a guy like Whistle and Diesel. You know, he'll put out a video like once a month sometimes. And it rips. It does insane views, insane views. But the quality, controversial as it may be, it's up there, you know, and and, and you see the result of that.
0: One thing that I I saw or I feel like Hoonigan must have struggled with is constantly having to one up yourself, whether it's we're going to jump this farther, whether you're in the yard. And it's like I remember one of the things that I just hated about what Hoonigan did is when cars would get destroyed in in the in the yeah. back lot back there. I saw that I'm like those motherfuckers are just ruining something for views and I always struggle with that. So how do you struggle with like the creep of of the of the controversial being what's popular and the and the creep of one-upping yourself?
1: In the moment, it's horrible. It sucks. It, it's you just you sit in a room, you try and think of a million different things and how you could change this and how you can up that. But looking back, that's what created some of the my favorite content and some of the most creative stuff that we did. Because you have to change, you have to evolve. For sure. If one formula worked and you just kept doing that the rest of the time, then and it's just kind of like even if it keeps getting views, it's just kind of whatever. Like it, it's not evolving, it's not changing. You know, like I, a lot of people uh, stereotyped us because in in the heyday we had that Alfa Romeo that jumped. Yeah, that's and the one. That a lot of people just saw that news story and they're like, "Wow, these guys just." Somebody destroyed an Alfa Romeo for no reason other than views. I mean, that thing had fallen off the back of a trailer. It was already kind of totaled. We we didn't jump it ourselves. The guys that brought it wanted to do that, and then they lost brakes and hit the fence. Got a ton of views, got a ton of press, whatever. And for a while, we were trying to shake the idea that we're just these idiots in a parking lot that wreck things on purpose, which was part of what we did and part of what people felt the need to do when they came to the yard. But – you know, we were also involved in Gymkhana and we were also involved in motorsports and stuff. But the one upping thing, two facets of it. One was people would come to the yard and they would be like, well, if this guy did this, then I have to up it. But that's yeah. how we got man line. So somebody, I think it was um, it was either Die or Micah Diaz. No, it was Kibby Ryan Kibbe. I think he came in and he was like, well, I have this truck. I'm going to go up on the ramp because everybody does stuff down here. I'm going to go up on the ramp and then slide back down it and it's like that's the next evolution, you know? So <laughs> it kind of forced that. Later on, it sucked because people wouldn't come to Hoonigan because they were like, "Yeah, I have a cool car and I could drive, just too far. but yeah. I'm I'm not I'm not going to look like a chump just doing a burnout and everybody else did all this cool stuff. I don't I don't want to come by, you know." So um, I remember that, that was a tough
0: part but. when I was. Uh, I drove out to California with my buddy Alex, and Alex was a huge Hoonigan fan. And this was in my period of time. My mm-hmm. Hoonigan love went it ebbed and flowed like the tide. But uh, he was like a huge hardcore mm-hmm. fan. He's like, I want to go visit Hoonigan, and I'm like, dude, I do. I can't take my 911 there. I I can't do any of the things that those dudes. I can't do burnouts and drifting around in a in a freaking narrow bodied SC powered 911. It just doesn't do that shit. I'm no. Right. And I and we resisted and we didn't go. And I and I regret it now. I think it would have been been oh, fun to fun to come visit and shit. But like, yeah, I yeah, yeah, see. I mean, image. I felt that. I felt that. I felt that for sure. Um, I mean, Jim Connor one upping yourselves with that. You know, watching the the files yesterday was just like God, how the, the amount of meetings and dude, I can tell you, after producing some things, I mean what Hoonigan uh does on the Jim Conn Electricana kind of stuff. Is on. People don't understand unless they've done like a basic photo shoot or a video shoot, pulled permits. People have no idea, none, how ridiculous the production of what you guys did, even on some of the earlier ones. The the production value and the effort that it took for you guys to produce those Jim Cono films is unbelievable. And no one has come close no one has like seen a candle from a thousand miles they haven't seen anything or done anything close to what you guys did tell us a little bit about how hard it was to put together some of those films and what it took to evolve that process for sure
1: uh i could sum all of it up essentially in one quote mike tyson uh everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face which is jim connor production in a nutshell the first The first bunch were, were decently easy. Uh, yeah, obviously, you know, you have to think of new stuff, but it was a blank canvas, right? So the very first one was, it was awesome. Like, oh my God, you just do a donut here and a donut box and a big fast slide. Cool. Okay. How do we one up it next? Ooh, slow-mo camera. Add another little obstacle here. Awesome. Okay. The next one. Ooh, what if we did a cool location? That was the banked one in France and it was with a race car. Like that was cool too. Gymkhana four. Ooh. Okay. What do we do now? Oh, we have access to universal studios. Yeah. Awesome. Cool concept. You start getting on later on into like Gymkhana six. Gymkhana six was supposed to be with a unicorn. Um, that build took a year longer than it was supposed to. So here we are, this car isn't ready and production needs to start in like, you know, two months. We're like, dude, what do we do? Oh my God, okay, let's just go back, blank canvas it, let's get an airport, let's make our own course, like um, like, a, like a Minecraft thing almost, you know? Like we wanted to make our own Gymkhana grid course. And that, you know, I I personally love that film, but the audience is like, oh, this is a step back, this sucks. But then you get the Mustang one and it's in LA and it's raw and like, that's cool. So you kind of keep going back and forth here and there, then you're on set. And like, you have all these locations, and you're like, sick, this video is going to be amazing. And then you show up, this location is not available. This one, you know, uh, we can only shoot in a sliver of time in the day and the car was broken. So okay, that one's out. So there were times where we're mid shoot. And A place falls through, a permit actually got revoked or the car wasn't, you know, doing the thing it was supposed to. And we had to improvise on the day because like every production day you burn, as you know, is like every filmer's day rate, hotel rooms, food, everybody on set is getting paid that day. You're just burning that money. So it was extremely challenging. Coming up with the ideas was harder and harder and harder and harder exponentially every single one that's why gymkhana 10 is five cars five locations because how do you one up you know the previous nine
0: you gotta kind of love that challenge though right i mean meeting that especially if you meet the challenge it's got to feel good it's it's what makes you
1: and yeah i every single one we've ever uploaded like the second Um, my fingers hovering over like the publish button i i i want to puke i'm like this is going to get four views people are going to hate it it's not going to go off nobody's going to watch it this is going to suck like this is the one this is the one that ends the rest of them and then it does well and you're like on cloud nine and you're just like refresh 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 views come through views come through and it's that's the satisfying part but everything leading up to it is like dude it's so it's
0: an insane roller coaster. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. What's uh, your favorite moment from all the films, all the Jim Connor films? Oh god! Personally, that is a tough like one. you know, not like the favorite scene or anything like that, but just your favorite, uh, your favorite experience. Hmm. There are so so many. Um,
1: god, I, it, it's so tough to pick one, but. I think one of my favorites of like just a a, a crazy feeling, it's a a really simple one, is the unicorn. the very first thing we did in it. Like we built this all wheel drive Mustang, which at the time was just a build like that was maybe not unheard of from a show car perspective, but from a car being built and running and doing the thing, Ken had done one test in that car. He had maybe a total of two miles on the odometer of driving this vehicle. And we show up to set. And the very first thing we do is, uh, I think we were in Chinatown, and there's these concrete benches and a metal light pole, and it's super tight. And this is an 845 horsepower, like insane build on like no time anything. And he goes and he rips a donut around it and takes off first take. We're like... This video is going to be nuts. (laughs) Like we're fully ready for it to understeer or something to break or tap a bench and you got to clear a corner. But that moment of like, oh, this is going to work like him in that car
0: like this. Like that was that was an amazing feeling. Tell me a little bit about Ken. You know, we can't talk about all this without talking about Ken a little bit. Um, Of course. What what kind of person was he? to you? There was work, Ken, and
1: then there was personal, Ken. And both of them, especially reflecting back now, were one of those like once in a lifetime kind of people, you know, from a work perspective, there's actually a a similarity that you could pull of how he drove all the cars that he drove. He's going to take that car and he's going to, go 110, 115%. He's going to immediately right off the bat, find that limit, and then keep riding that limit and make cool stuff out of it. So for us, for everybody that worked for him, and, and especially for me, man, I was like daily at my limit of waking hours of working hours of receiving critique of, you know, you work on a video for, you know, eight hours and then you show it to him and he's like, well, this ain't it. And you're like, wow, you just get so deflated. But over all that time, you realize that's what crafts you as, as, you know, who you are and all the knowledge you get. And that's, that's how all this cool stuff happens is like, you don't settle for a mediocre video. You you have to make something amazing and you push yourself just like, you know, any athlete does or anything you really do, if you push yourself to that limit and over the limit, then you're just going to get better. And so, he was really like obviously he wanted to do the best that he could out of everything, but as a result of that, we also became the best at what we were doing. And later on, I was super thankful of that. In the moment, dude, it's so frustrating. I, I would be so mad at the guy sometimes, you know, like, oh, my God, he he would wake up at like, you know, 545, 6 a.m., go work out. And before I'm even awake, there's our my inbox is blasted. My texts are ready It's like his ideas are flowing his he's in it. And I wake up after like an all night bender of getting something up. And I'm like, oh, my God, this guy. Oh, he's relentless. <laughs> But then the flip side of it is I was in a situation where, uh, you know, I was in park city, park city, real estate, super tough. The place I was renting, like it, it was gone. I was in between homes and Ken's like, he got, he got wind of it. He's like, Oh, are you having trouble with the space? He's like, dude, I have the mountain lab. Nobody's there. Just live there until, I don't know, until you figure some shit out. Whatever. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, what's rent? Like how much? He's like, uh, I don't know, whatever. Just like clean the place up every once in a while. I don't care. Like, not even an inkling of a thought. He gave me like a house to live in for for nothing, you know? Um, he he flew out to my wedding. He left Lamont Le early driving a four GT to make my wife and I's wedding. And, and not only that, he wore a suit, which was a like a hard no, that dude did not wear suits, like <laughs> refused, but he wore a suit to my wedding. And like that meant so, so much to me. And he took me mountain bike riding and he, he like would teach me about, you know, how product is made in his days at DC. And, you know, we would have long drives going to stuff and he would just always 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 be like dropping knowledge and, and talk to me about life and everything so from that aspect man like what an incredible human like I in the same day I would hate him so much and then be like wow this is like my mentor this is one of the best dudes in my life you know
0: yeah it's uh I think that the indelible mark that Canon and Hooligan left on Individuals, of course, but you know, from my perspective, it's it's like a it's like a cultural societal thing, like the changes that he made and how we all perceive what we do, and um, the stuff that you guys did made a huge mark. You know, you guys shifted culture. You guys really did an amazing thing. Um, what do you think the legacy of 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 Hoonigan is and will be? Um. I'll
1: I'll get to that in one second. There is just yeah. one final thing I want to I want to wrap on the Ken thing because it yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. goes in line with what you're saying. Yeah. Um. You know, at his memorial, um, which we had pretty soon after his passing, we had it at Woodward in Park City, and it was a private family and friends event. Uh, friends of Ken being like 400 people, <laughs> uh, and and one thing I guess I never really realized or didn't think about was. What he had done for me, what he had done in car culture, he that was like the third phase of his life. He had done this already for action sports. He had done this already for apparel. And all these people that were coming up and they were speaking, they were telling the same stories from like 1995 of like, man, I was just a shithead kid. Like I was a skater. I was kind of a nobody. And then Ken kind of just brought me in and he said, Hey, design a shoe. If it works, you can get royalties off it, whatever. Next thing you know, you have Rob Deerdick. Like Jason Ellis, you know, was like this crazy Australian skateboarder dude, like really like insane lifestyle, whatever. He came up on some hard times. He was Ken's roommate. Ken brought him in. He's like, yeah, just live with me, dude. And he, he set him on the right path. And we realized that man this guy like that's been his whole life he he gives people that want to work hard he gives them every opportunity he can he opens every door he can and it was such a powerful thing that's part of the 43 institute that's one of the goals of it is to be able to keep opening doors for people and support people that want to work really hard and want to strive for something we wanted to keep that going because that's to me that's ken's legacy ken's legacy was if you're down and out, or you don't really have a bunch of opportunity in your life, but you want to work hard at something and you're you're passionate about what you're doing, your options are limitless with him. He will give you every pathway to make that happen. So that, to
0: me, was was Ken's legacy for sure. Yeah, I think we can all take a lesson from that because I feel like there's way too much uh, way too much gatekeeping in this uh, in this world, yeah. our world. There's a lot yeah. of gatekeeping that happens and knowing that Ken was the opposite of that is is huge because i mean that's a very altruistic sensibility
1: yeah for sure man it 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 really at the memorial it impacted me so much to just think about passing as much knowledge and as much opportunity as i can to my peers and my friends and and people that i see you know, are really taking off now. You have so many creators now that are doing really cool stuff and they they may not know, you know, the creative world yet or they may not know how to monetize their audience. And like, I, I want to help those guys now in the same way that Ken helped me.
0: Yeah. So you're you're moving on. You're going to be sticking around with Hoonigan, you know, as probably like a consultant type of type gig, freelance gig. Um, what yep. everybody, everybody's kind of wondering, they've seen, you know, Scotto left, Hurt left, you're leaving, Vin's out what's going on? Like people are, are like, I went and I looked at the Reddit for, uh, for Hootian mm-hmm. dude. Fans are, are freaked out. You know, they, they don't, they don't know what's going on. Like what's up.
1: They are. It's a, it's a tough thing to experience from the outside. And the interesting part about that is. Uh, everybody attributes it to Ken's passing and I get it. Like that's the most obvious thing, right? Like in the same year, that he passed all these guys just leave you know yeah. the truth behind it is that a lot of that was happening well before um, and if anything Ken's passing had kept a lot of the guys around longer so when you have something like Hoonigan happen and and you have it as long as you did I mean remember Hoonigan it officially launched in 2011 we started marketing it in 2010 that's 10 11, 12 years of doing burning the same really, thing and, and really hot, man. I mean, burning really hot. Yep. Yep. Burning super hot. And you know, you have guys like, let's take hurt, for example, you know, hurt grew his own audience to an incredible level. And he was doing all this cool stuff and opportunity comes up. And at a certain point, you're either going to put all your time and effort into continuing this collective and you know, obviously it plateaus at a point too. But then I think everybody feels at a point that, well, maybe there's more, maybe there's something else. Maybe there's something that I have to do for myself. Maybe an opportunity comes up. So I think at that point, a lot of us had done so much in automotive and met so many people and did so many things that we were all kind of thinking, okay, this is sick. Like we got this company to this place. It sold. Like we achieved that. Like we, we got to that post and, and you could see even in the video content later, like all the guys started becoming more individualistic. They started having kids. Like when you have kids, you start thinking in a different kind of way. Oh, yeah. You're not going into the shop every day and hanging out for, you know, 12 hours a day and, and ripping burnouts and doing engine swaps and everything. You start thinking about life a little different. And so, you know, these guys just, everybody started getting a little bit of a different pathway, you know, different opportunities, starting to do different things here and there. And that like 2021, 2022 was when we were all kind of like, all right, what, what's next for us? You know, I, I don't think anybody there was really thinking Hoonigan is the rest of my life. Uh, but then you throw, you, you know, you throw in 2023, which was just overall very chaotic in, in many different ways. And yeah, it, it was just time, you know, it was time for us to go and try and do different things. What's that like
0: though, man, that's gotta be, I mean, are you scared? Are you terrified? Cause you've had a thing to do for <laughs> all these years, more than 10 years, you've had a thing to do. You've had an inbox full of shit to do. And now your inbox is, is, is empty. You got to send emails to yourself if you want something to do. So like what, like, how do you, yeah. Are, are you scared? Like trepidation? Hell
1: yeah, man. I, dude, it's, it's genuine fear of the unknown, right? Um, I have no idea how the next year or two or three of my life, like was hooning at my peak. You never really know when you're at your peak, you know? And so yeah, there's very much all these thoughts of, oh, okay, well, was I only as successful as I was because I was a part of this collective? Uh, Is this my only identity? Like, is this just who I am? And then is everything else I do just going to be like a watered down version of Hoonigan? Like, yeah, all those thoughts, man. Like, especially in the creative field, there's so much imposter syndrome. There's so much self-doubt. But at the end of the day, I'm also excited because I could start telling my own stories and working on things that I may not have had time to do before. So it's fear and excitement at the same time. It's like kind of being on a diving board, right? Like, yeah, you talk about going to the diving board and like that decision's easy. Yeah, I'm going to walk up to it and I'm going to dive. Yeah. And then you tell all your friends, like, dude, I'm going to dive. Yeah. Like, that's going to be sick. Like, I'm going to be a hero, whatever. But then you stand on the edge and you're like, ah, oh, shit. I have to do this now. Like, I, yeah. I actually have to I have to say, like, yeah, I'm not full time anymore. I, I am going and doing my thing. That part. Yeah.
0: Like, you feel it, man. You feel it in your stomach for sure. Peak is like, I don't think even if you don't do anything like on that level again. And I don't think it would be wise to chase that um, personally I think peaking is when you fail to grow. You want to like comparing yourself Mm. to you, right? Like where was Ron yesterday and are you continuing to grow? If you're continuing to grow, you'll never peak. You know, if you're continuing to try and evolve and better yourself and, 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 and do different things, I don't think you have to look at it that way as in terms of like, you know, did I peak with Hoon again? You know, as long as you're growing, It's although it's it's tough not to like look outwardly and like see the perception of our peers, right? It's it's tough, but yeah.
1: I feel like this is a creator therapy session. This is sick. (laughs) Genuine. That's a that's a really that's a really good point, man. Like it is. It's just it's just it's constantly evolving, right? And it's it's not like peaks and
0: valleys and whatever. It's just like yeah, you just keep moving forward. You have to, and uh, as long as you are, and as long as you have that ability to try and improve yourself and grow and learn new things and have new experiences, you'll never peak. You know, if you think you're going to peak, then you'll be worried about, did it happen? Is it going to happen or will (laughs) it never happen? Yeah, Or will it never happen? Will I never peak? (laughs) I I don't, I don't think you can operate that way. I think it's just this constant. I mean, it sucks because we're always like rolling that boulder up the hill. Right. You know, but like imagine getting to the peak and pushing the boulder over like then what right yeah, then what. i mean then what then you're at the top of the hill looking at i guess if you on the flip side if you do let's say you can peak right i think the responsibility then comes to uh turn around and and help the other ones that are still pushing the boulders up the hill in like yeah. education mentorship all that kind of stuff i guess can become really valuable but i really don't think that it's it's good to think about peaking
1: yeah yeah and 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 you make a really really good point there because there was a mindset at one point of like Gymkhana 5 was probably our – at the time, we thought like, oh, it's just not – no video is ever going to grow as big as this one did. YouTube changed. The car scene changed. There's only so much we could do with the car or whatever. And if we had genuinely like lived with that mindset, we would have never gotten the Travis Gymkhanas. We would have never evolved to those. And those were insane. They were, they were belligerent. Yeah. They were crazy videos. And, and I'm so, so happy we did them. But we never would have had that if we were just like, ah, five was the peak.
0: All right, when that's over. So, what are you? Uh, what are you up to? You know, with this, what where are you moving to? What's going on? What What are you putting your energy into? So, kind of two directions. The very first thing is going back to
1: the roots a little bit. Uh, I am going to be working with Leah Block and Lucy and Blockhouse Racing. Um, you know, Leah has incredible, incredible potential as a driver. I, I I witnessed it this year on various occasions. She's super talented, she's super focused. She won the ARA championship in two-wheel drive this year. I really want to help her become her own person, not just Ken's daughter, but to be Leah Block. And with her now, you know, being signed with the Williams Development Program. I think there's some really, really cool and fun stuff that we could do on the marketing side, on building her character, on helping her grow. So I Williams doesn't screw around, man.
0: They're food. not like they're not just be like, oh, well, that's Ken Black's daughter. We better sign her. They don't screw around like that. They, don't, they yeah. do not. She can drive. She can drive. The clock does not lie. <laughs> that's you're right. And if you way off pace, you just
1: don't get the invite back. You just don't. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm really genuinely excited about that. And then the the second facet and kind of building in the background is gonna be uh myself and Vinny. Uh we're gonna start our own thing. Uh we have a page, it's called the Driver's Era. We just really like the name. I saw it. And there's only one picture on the Instagram. Have, like,
0: there's only one picture. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. That's it. it. It was, it was kind of a car sales thing for, for Vin's, you know, uh, car thing for a bit, but we, we now have like a really focused plan on what that is. And there's some really cool stuff coming there, but we don't want to just start it to start it. Like I want to, want to have some genuine substance there before we yeah. really launch it. So we're working on that in the background. Uh, Vin and I have always like clicked the most on our interests and our likes and, and the style of car and, like a a motorsport uh kind of lifestyle thing and it's going to be a creative house there's going to be a bunch of different stuff that we do there um once again not attempting to be hoonigan 2 or anything like that this is stuff that we've talked about for two three years now that we've wanted to do uh, and now we actually get to do it and, and we get to kick it off with a bunch of like really good people and, and projects so i'm super super excited about that one so between freelance branding and marketing uh
0: a bit of creative and kicking off the driver's era those are my big focuses for the year well dude i wish you the best of luck we'll have you on again once you uh get your feet under you a little bit more i'm excited to see what you're up to um i'm sure there's gonna be a a lot of good things to come for you and vin and everyone else that was involved with hoonigan over the years and i look forward to seeing what hoonigan becomes you know I, i i feel like people are just like they're being a little too negative about things right now. We'll see where things go, and I and I hope everybody comes out on top, but not the peak.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there's an ebb and flow to it all, man. I yeah. mean, every company, like, you know, there was a time where vans weren't cool at all, you know. Like, vans were amazing, super cool, and then it's, like, the worst thing you could wear in skateboarding and whatever. Nobody cared, and then, and then they skyrocketed again, uh, you know. It's going to take the right idea. It's going to take the right concept and and finding, you know, what that next level of the audience is. But I'm excited to see what they do as well.
0: Yeah. You got to keep on, man. You got to keep on. There is no peak. There is no peak. Correct. Correct. Ron, dude, thanks for hanging out with me today. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for having me.